might have the Star Wars Lego set Death Star, but can he chug a sparkling water and not burp? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that part. It's the best part. <laughs> Oh, it's like it's totally unexpected i love when it's just hard left turn at the end oh my god what a great video welcome back uh leaves late <laughs> i'm your host roscoe joined by steph the fanalist and beaner the hockey historian as we once used to introduce you i think that was the first thing we ever brought you on as was beaner the hockey historian so welcome how's it going <laughs> It's, it's going along. <laughs> I, I just felt like reminiscing, you know, it's yeah. sorry. I should also add, I just came back from Boston pizza. I had a couple fish bowls. I watched some of the game there. I thought this is the thing we were talking about this before we came on. I don't know how thinking back when my dad used to go to the bar to watch all these games that he actually watched it, I guess because he was going alone like we didn't have cable when i was growing up because they didn't have it on our street until i was like in grade five so we didn't have like leafs tv and stuff so some of these games were hard to watch like now when i have to stream them uh so my dad would go to this bar down the street to watch them and now in my 20s i'm like how the hell do you pay attention to the game like i i don't know how you can watch everything from the bar but here we are so i'm gonna hand a lot of that off to you yeah sitting alone helps i guess you don't talk to anyone and you just stare at the TV and just uh, glance at the bartender every time you need a refill and the way she goes. I know when I'm in a bar, there's no freaking way. Um, once you get talking, it's nearly impossible. So, What I couldn't believe, I'm not going to say which Boston pizza I went to, um, but I have found since looking up, this is my second time going there. It does not have great reviews. I normally like Boston pizza from my hometown of Coburg. Shout out. The Boston pizza there is great. This one, not so much. Uh, the first time we went, we got sat. I went with my girlfriend. We got sat in a corner and it was pretty late, granted. Um, but as soon as we sat down, it was like a weird section of the bar. I was like, they're going to forget about us. Guaranteed. 45 minutes. Finally, the hostess that saw us uh, when we first came in, like noticed us in the back corner was like, I had this look of like, oh shit. And then it immediately goes to the bar and somebody comes over and was like, I am so sorry. <laughs> so it wasn't great. And this time, the thing that I noticed, all of their TVs are busted. Like it looks like somebody has either thrown a drink at each one of them or they dropped them on the way in or they just bought discount TVs in order to get 12 of them to fill the bar side because one of them had such a distorted light and Beaner, I know you just unmuted. I'll let you get to the Sportsnet broadcast in a sec. I thought it was just the TVs <laughs> on that. But there was so much distortion to the color and there was like dark rings and stuff. Like, I don't know how you call yourself a sports bar. And like, there's a whole third of the, the ice that was just dark, like blacked out because their TVs are broken. Like, this is a sad Boston pizza. Mr. True Living, please get your shit together. <laughs> Send me a DM and I'll tell you which location it is. <laughs> It is, it is also a sports bar in a town that has the Senators as their home team. Fun fact, the fishbowl I was drinking tonight was called the Senator. I felt a little awkward ordering it, but it did Sacrilege. sound very good. I know, I know, but the, A, the Sens weren't playing tonight, 
and B, I guess I'm alphabetically listing things because I'm drunk, uh, and C, they <laughs> tasted good. Well, the only thing that's good at Boston Pizza is probably the alcohol. <laughs> I don't even think that's a real sports bar, honestly, but... Okay, let me just... Come on. Let me just defend BP for a hot sec. Their pizza <laughs> is pretty good. I gotta say, their pizza's good. The cactus cut potatoes, that dip, that spicy the dip. The tie cut, the tie bites are amazing. The tie chicken bites, buddy. So Maybe good. when I was a teenager. Now that I'm a full realized adult, that chain food is nasty to me. It's not the best, but if I'm going home to Coburg where there are no good sports bars and there's like everything, like the average age there is senior. So there's not, not much in terms of good <laughs> restaurants because nobody has taste buds anymore. So BP is pretty much the only good thing in town. That's the one exception. Yeah. So I, I thought it'd be decent here, but honestly, it's it's pretty bad. Like my the chicken was under not undercooked that it was like inedible, but at the point that it was supposed to be crispy and it wasn't fries were cold. Not good. Going to find somewhere new. I went with the gang, uh, my little new Ottawa Leafs gang that we've put together of work people. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so they couldn't make it tonight, but uh, hopefully next time. So, yeah, it was fun, but wow. Leafs, um, Leafs had a good time. I had a good time. Uh, BP was just a little meh. And with that, let's start the show. This is Mike Ross, public address announcer for your Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Leafs Late Night Podcast, your post-game destination. And now, your starting lineup, Roscoe, the Fanalist, Southey, Beaner, and Darty Brodeur on the Leafs Late Night Podcast. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that intro. Uh, if you are newer here, that is, in fact, Mike Ross. Thank you, Beaner, for hooking us up with that. It's been a while since we've talked about this, but uh, I think it's worth mentioning. We've got a lot of new listeners to the show. So, uh, yeah, the, the in-arena announcer, Mike Ross, was nice enough to record that for us, thanks to a uh, donation from Beaner. So, uh, so thank you for that. Fun fact, uh, Mike Ross's 300th game he called was, on, was the last game. Uh, not tonight, but on Saturday night. So kudos to him. Uh, he's done it for a long time now. And now when I'm inside the Scotiabank Arena, it's not the same unless you hear Mike Ross's voice. Whoop, whoop. Congrats, Mike. It's it's funny because I grew up hearing uh, Andy Frost. Andy Frost. As the, of Monaghan Lumber. Yeah. <laughs> King of the Woods. But uh, it, it was... I, not that I... Uh, how, it's it's always weird changing, you know, when you're used to somebody for so long. But Mike has just been so fantastic that it's like, it's just a, it's another great era. You know, it's it's handing the torch off. It's great. I, I love Mike. And uh, yeah, it's been a fun time. But yeah. real quick, um, Steph, you sent me a video. We got to show this because uh, what better way to start the game than this? Here are the Leafs breaking in. Nylander right off the face off. Scores! Holy Mackinac! <laughs> going to school, we have been able to call it. Oh, Bonesy. Go school. Nylander scores nine seconds into the game. I gave you at least six seconds to call it. <laughs> and now I shall look at the Leafs before somebody posts it past his goal at the start of a game. As All right. So, 
Joe Bowen, Bonesy, called that one. Thank you, Steph, for sending me that. I miss hearing Joe Bowen do these games. Uh, Beaner, on that, do you want to start with, <laughs> before we get into it? Do you want to start with the sports night uh, weirdness? It, unless it's just me, which is very, very possible. Um, for some strange reason, every time Sportsnet is showing a game, it something with their I don't you're a, a video guy like dealing in movies and that so you know the terminology better than me. I don't know if their saturation is off or contrast or whatever. No matter what I do to the settings on my TV, the ice is so goddamn bright it makes the Leaf jerseys almost black, and it almost hurts your eyes to watch it. Like when they zoom in, everything looks normal. And then everything else, my my son playing video games, me watching movies with the wife, everything else is normal. It's just the overhead play-by-play view on Sportsnet. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and it's not the first time I've noticed that. I remember there was something off with the white balance in another broadcast that Sportsnet did where it just, it seems like it's some, you're right, it's somewhere between contrast and saturation, but like it's the, the the fact that it's not differentiating enough between like the white of the Chicago jerseys, the white of the ice, the white of the boards, like it's, it's reading it all as the same tone and just blowing it out. Cause it can't, it it thinks that there's a bunch of things competing for the same space. So it's like, Oh, we'll just brighten this. I bet you any money it's to do with the friggin' board ads. It could be because they have to adjust to be able to. So Here's a fun little thing that I learned from filming Christmas movies. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes when you hold your camera up to lights, there you'll see it flickering through the light. It's because the uh, the the frame rate that the camera is shooting at is different than the frame rate of the like the the hertz of the light. So there's certain Christmas lights that we can't use because they don't show up properly on camera. Like they'll flicker, even though to your eye they're not. So they might have to adjust the frame rate that they're shooting to be able to not screw with the board ads. And that might be affecting how other things are showing up. I'm, I could be completely wrong. I'm not a camera person, though I do work in film, but I it could be. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly thought uh, I just had sensitive eyeballs because I had laser eye surgery. So everything is super bright to me sometimes, but... I don't know, these ads and everything in between just makes it so hard to watch. And then the cringeworthy panel after, like tonight was exceptionally bad. I don't know why. Like some nights it doesn't bother me, but tonight, uh, I just saw a bunch of complaints on Twitter as well and videos of glitching and like, how, how do you make it enjoyable? Especially if your team's losing, at least the Leafs won, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's very strange. But on to better things. Leafs opening the scoring nine seconds in with William Nylander with a beauty right off the opening faceoff. This, I was looking at the menu, looked up, and this is how I knew the game was started, was seeing the replay of this goal, which I'm sure I wasn't the only one. Uh, beautiful one. And it wasn't a long-lived lead, though. So I'm going to have you guys, I'm going to defer to you guys a lot for this, because like I said, I, I couldn't hear or see a ton of the game, though I watched most of it uh what the hell happened there was a, a pass that should not have been made was that yarn croak yeah yeah and uh, it it looked good in the beginning i mean the puck was being flipped to center ice and yarn croak was going for the puck and then 
um, makes a blind pass to Lilligren that's near Sammy and does not see Lafferty coming in whatsoever, swoops in and scores. It was just the, a the, really bad play. Yes. The bad part about that is you can't even give him the benefit of the doubt and say it was a blind pass. He legitimately <laughs> was looking at Lilligren and still fucked it up. And I think it just comes down to as as many goals as you can score. These are the things that, yeah, you can outscore this against Chicago, but these are the things that you got to clean up as we're getting to the end of the season here. Let's let's tighten up things that are really, really amateur, like these in front of your net passes. Like, guys, let's let's shape up for the playoffs. I know you've got an, this is the thing that worries me about these easy games for the Leafs end of the season is, yes, they had a, a tough first half or first three quarters or two thirds, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they came out with more points than you would expect them to. Uh, I don't like that. They have an easy stretch before the playoffs because the Leafs tend to get a little comfy against easy teams. So unless they can prove that they're going to bring it every night, which I mean, tonight they, they did, but there's these little mistakes that they got to uh, clean up before we get out there. Cause you can't do that against Tampa. You're going to lose the entire game. Like you, that's something that you can't get back as easy as you can here where you can score another four goals. They don't typically do that against the good teams though. That's why I worry that they're playing a bunch of bad teams before they go to the playoffs here. Yeah. And you know, after the all-star break kind of predicted Leafs lose a couple. So gather all the points before heading into break and bye week but hey we got the two points against columbus lost in this in the second half of the home and home tonight got the two points i was more worried you know finding out that morazic is you know uh 19 or 913 against toronto 208 goals against average even though he's a two and eight it just like you said johnny it gives you those ptsd moments and um yeah Obviously, there's a couple leaf killers on the team, some guys who've been traded and such, but tonight wasn't, I don't know, uh, the, desert, the deserve o, or the d- deserve to win o meter. Oh my God. Mouthful, no, eh? 9.7% for Chicago. Oi. Oi. I know Marty was tweeting out before, like, what does a $20 bet get me on Chicago winning 8 nothing? And I think the best that you found was 7 nothing. And what did that return? Like $3,980 or something? It was three grand. So, yeah, you put down 20 bucks and you get twenty nine eighty back. Oh, twenty nine eighty. Yeah, that's... Oh, I mean, it's a bad bet, but... I'd, yeah. I'd apply, I decided to try the odds boost tonight for Matthews and didn't quite get it. What did you miss by one shot? Oh, oh, buddy, that sucks. Yeah, odds boost was two points and four shots. No. You only got three. That's crazy. He's known for like six. That's that sucks, man. I'm but, sorry. That's all good. I'm still too chicken shit to place any big bets, so I didn't place too much on it. <laughs> Another thing to note too was that you know Chicago played last night and they got shut out for nothing against Montreal. So obviously facing Toronto, they're going to be hyped up. Everyone loves to play the Leafs. And it was only I found when Leafs made those silly mistakes that Chicago was able to capitalize. Uh, I mean, Yarncroke, you know, letting that Lafferty goal go ahead. But the rest, like, even in the second period, the Kurashev goal, like, it just happened so quickly. And the Leafs pretty much dominated for the rest of the game. Um, big differences tonight. 
Kerfoot and Yarncroke swapping positions between the first or the second and third line. Justin Hall being a healthy scratch for the first time this season. Bean is so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gio's the only other guy on the team that has played in all Leaf games this season. Uh, wow. Hall was the other guy. Defenseman-wise. Yeah, defenseman. Uh, I was going to say Marner has. Yes, defender-wise. And, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Do we see, is Hall going bye-bye or what? Uh, it's just been on my mind because I have this mental battle of he's going to be a Leaf forever. The management loves him, but. Uh, look scratched. at the six defensemen that were on the ice tonight. And look at the pairs they were in. Any one of those pairs I am comfortable with in any situation. Riley Brody, defensive end, sure. Offensive end, sure. Geo Lilly, anywhere on the ice at any point in time. Sandman and Timmons, they got experience in junior together, and they've showed that they can play together at this level too. And Timmons has been incredible since he's came in. Yeah, the only thing that I keep coming back to as much as we've talked about Justin Hall is the contract when he's playing well looks good it's when he plays bad that it doesn't matter if we're paying him league min or eight million a year it's just you can't have that happen on the ice so it's it's tough because for i want to say 75 percent of the time for two million dollars it's a really good deal and i think I struggle between do you keep him for that and just bench him every now and then to get into his head because last season, those few games that they scratched him, he came back and was great. And I'm hoping that the same thing happens here. The other side of it is they could be protecting him to make sure he doesn't get injured before trading him. So he has the upside because how uh, because of how great his contract is. And he's a right-handed defenseman. He can play second pair, I want to say. I would not put him on a first pair anywhere. He's second, third pair defenseman. For two I thought you were going to say he can play seconds instead of he can play minutes. <laughs> no, but it's... <laughs> I, I think at two million bucks, you could get value for him still. I think people... Like, there's still enough of an argument out there. Like, people will still defend him, and I think that means that there's enough GMs that still see interest in him too. Like, I think that's enough to extrapolate. I know it's silly to say that because people on Twitter still defend him that teams are still interested, but... I don't know if anybody has an argument for it. It's not crazy to think that there is still an argument for him being good and useful. So I think at 2 million bucks, if somebody wants them, flip them because I agree with being all those, all those pairs make sense. I know um, Chris Hurley and I got into this a little bit about, you know, moving Hall in a deal for Chikrin, but, uh, and you lose the depth, but I, I don't see how like even the depth after that, you've got, um, Ben and Mete, whatever the hell is going on with him, I think he might still be hurt, but we haven't really heard much about him. And who else is down there? Dahlstrom. Like, yep. I mean, yeah, it falls off pretty quick, but at least like Jordy Ben is a good seventh defenseman to have going into the playoffs. Speaking of Sandine, um, I saw Chris Hurley tweet today. Shout out, Chris. <laughs> um I really appreciate your tweets, by the way. Uh, they sent me. Oh, and by the way, oh no hate God. at all, Chris. To all no, love. No, it, yeah, no. <laughs> he said, if the opportunity pretty much was there for Chikrin, for Sandine, one for one, he would personally upgrade his plane ticket to first class <laughs> if that was on the table. 
What do you guys think? One for one, Sandine Chikrin. You take oh my that. God. You take that all day long. This Sandine bias. I don't know. I don't really even want to answer it because I don't think it's a plausible offer. It, it It's not. Like, that wouldn't even get accepted in super easy mode in NHL 23. <laughs> um, but oh, for, for, for the Leafs side, yeah, you'd be stupid not to take it. As much as I love Sandman, you would be. Um, yeah. I, I really don't want to see him move because I do think there's a lot of upside to him. But if you had to pick one of Sandman or Lily to move, it would 100% be Sandman. So I think the the conversation that I had with Chris started on packaging Hall for Chikrin, though. So, I mean, like in the event that you're bringing Chikrin in, that's bumping somebody like Timmons or whoever, like out as the seventh, and then Ben becomes your eighth. So, like, really, the depth, like, I don't hate that at all. Well, not if you're packaging Hall. They're basically swapping spots one for one. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, you're right, actually. But Sandine is uh, proven a good case to stay. He's uh, upping his offensive side, especially tonight. I uh, just want to see how many. Well, uh, sorry. Work. No, Bean, because Hall was scratched tonight. And if you're sending him out for Chikrin, Chikrin, Chikrin wouldn't be the scratch. It would be Timmons. So you're bumping Timmons out of the lineup. So yeah, then Timmons Timmon, becomes your seventh and Ben becomes your eighth. And Timmons was coming in and out all season anyways, right since we've got him. But that's what I mean is that you don't lose like right now, like the, if you are just sending Hall out, yes, I don't love that. But if you're bringing a defenseman in, then like your depth gets better. Like there's no way that keeping Hall makes your depth better. Sorry, Steph. That's just, I had to. No worries. No worries. Uh, defend my point. <laughs> Sandine. I love when a defender scores. Sandine yeah. tonight, fourth of the year, man, this face, it like, Tonight, the first three goals for the Leafs, even though one got called back, um, was right off the face-off. They weren't fucking around, you know? Like, it happened on that first shift. JT wins the face-off. Sandine steps up on the flank and just takes the shot. Uh, he doesn't screw around. It's right off Murphy's stick. Uh, everyone who's advocating for Murph, Connor Murphy to become a Leaf, here you go. Here's an apple for you, bud, uh, because that helped us out tonight. Right <laughs> through the five-hole. For Sandine, uh, beauty for, from Tavares, or sorry, uh, Sandine. I'm getting it all mixed up now. There's so much going on tonight. Oh, man. But Mrazek, completely fooled, looking the opposite way. Nice. Well, I mean, it's okay. It was great. This is the thing that I struggle with against Chicago, is any team that's trying this hard to lose, like I just come back to the fact that we couldn't keep Morazic as a backup goalie on the contract that he was on. And they're like, great, we'll have him as our starter. Thanks. I'm like, <laughs> it's so hard to take any of this. Like, great. You, you should score five goals against this shit team. They're trying to lose, but yeah. Anyway, it, I'm trying not to be negative. It's just, it's if, if this wasn't the outcome, I'd be frustrated. I know this isn't a, a shit on the Blackhawks episode, but like, even if you're if you're looking at the team and thinking about doing a rebuild, why would you get rid of Debrinket and Doc? It doesn't make sense other than they couldn't get Kane and Taves to leave, so they just got rid of their toys and said, will you leave now? And that seems like a really, really, really short-sighted way to rebuild. 
but that's the only logic I can pull from it is these guys would not wave and they're still not. They could have held on to those guys and they would still be in the same spot where they're like, eh, we'll wait it out to the deadline. But the thing I don't get is, is why, why worry about it? Like they're done after this year anyways, their contracts are up after this year, play it out for another year. I think they want to try to get like, I mean, they're rebuilding. They want to get something for them. Patrick Kane uh, spoke to the media about it today. Actually, he's he was uh, mentioned. He was asked about first Kirby Doc, and because they played Montreal last night, and he straight up said, uh, "I'm not surprised he's doing so well." What is he? 21, 22. Um, he was probably rushed into. Or some things take time. He was plush, rushed into the league, and it's not the best for your development. Then he goes on to insinuate Dylan Strom, Brandon Hagel, Alex DeBrinket. It didn't make sense to not hold on to young talent in the state that the Blackhawks are in. Like it just sounded like he's completely done. But like even the commentators were saying on the broadcast, even we knew before tonight, the ball is in. <laughs> Patrick Kane's court he kind of missed his shot with the Rangers his asking price was too high he has the hip injury um, thing that they're worried about but is he really being super picky like what is his price I wonder because um, it's all on him he has the no move con- contract they uh, literally can't do anything without his approval I think for him, it's going to be about where he wants to go and if he wants to help the Blackhawks out at all, right? Like he can try to choose something that gives them a bit of a chance at a future or to get some sort of return for him. Or he can just say, fuck you guys. You've mistreated all of us for too long. You are botching this rebuild. And like you said, trading away all these guys that could be part of that. He can just say, look, I'm going to wait this out and sign wherever I want to. Or you're going to trade me here for whatever they offer you. I don't care. They can give you a fifth for me. I'm going to, you know, whatever. L.A. But tonight, I got to say, I was super impressed with Alex Kerfoot playing on the second line. Um, His goal, unfortunately, gets called off by a coach's challenge offside. But this pass by Marner, oh my god. Kerfoot had no idea it was coming his way. He was completely stunned, and Marner's just putting on a dipsy-doodle show, and Kerfoot's ready on the side, and he's just like, oh shit, this is happening. Boom, I scored! Like, 15 seconds apart from the latest goal, so Leafs are hyped up, not even 10 minutes into the first period. Fortunately, gets called back. Yeah, so that was one that, I mean, we noticed it was 3-1 and we're like, oh shit, like, let's see this goal. And then immediately it goes to the coach's challenge. So how offside was this? Because it was, again, you know, bar hard to tell. Mm. The the screenshot that they showed, Kerfoot's blade was just leaving the offensive zone edge of the blue line as the puck was starting to cross the neutral zone edge of the blue line. So real time, it, it looked close enough. But once you saw that that still shot, there was no way. No, yeah. Okay. It looked like a mile once you saw the pick. And you're like, oh, okay there, bud. Uh. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm all for like, if it's, if it's obvious in the replay, that's fine. I just, I don't like when it's, you know, coming down to we're looking at frame by frame. Because then it's, what are we doing here? So uh, then Austin Matthews, oh my God, dude didn't miss a beat at all. 
Oh, right back to his disgusting self, throwing this one one timer, making it back to three one again. Oh, but he missed the net a couple times. <laughs> Sorry, you being <laughs> yeah. Uh, way to go for Timmons to keep the puck alive along the boards, and you know Sandine and Matthews a little give and go, and Nylander. If Nylander wasn't circling this top point, looking for Matthews, Matthews literally wide open in Ovi's spot. I was <laughs> gonna say it's spot. an Ovi goal. <laughs> yeah, slingshots that shit in, man. Less than 10 minutes in, four goals, one called back, no penalties. All of these goals happened at even strength. So the we were just pumping. We were going wild at this point. Like This is like beginner mode on NHL, it seemed, for the Leafs, in a sense, for Mar- poor Morazic. Oh, my God. Yeah, I said early on, like even though that goal, goal got called back, it was going to be a rough night for him because, I mean, offside or not, doesn't change that he let the goal in. Like. <laughs> Shots 18-14 for Toronto to end the first period. Damn. Holy shit. Did not get to see that. That's an awful lot of shots for uh, Peter uh, Mazarek over there. Pete the there Mazarek. was just a lot of everything going on in the first. <laughs> okay. And then a whole lot of nothing in the third, I felt. Because, I mean, while we were trying to tune in while we're, you know, eating and drinking away it felt like the first two periods went really fast and the third period was like dragging forever yeah such as me yeah and i unfortunately missed that first goal i didn't realize the period came back on so quickly but watching the replay there um leafs just little mess up uh they had momentum going into the chicago zone and then you know nylander gets trapped in the neutral zone along the boards the pucks get gets loose mccabe chips it to domi waves for kurashev for the perfect one-timer tee up straight in 46 seconds into the period oh my god assisted assisted by future leafs uh domi and mccabe exactly what i was thinking i'm like this is the show these people wanted to see here you go mccabe and domi at work and lafferty in the first period (laughs) nothing from patrick kane though um i heard just from seeing a little bit of blackhawks twitter that tonight was one of the worst games he's played this season to a lot of blackhawks fans well well, that's a shame he had Uh, a a little breakaway that I think he end? ended up getting a he ended up getting a backhand off, but he didn't really have much else other than that. So I hate to rush the game, but we have a lot. Oh, pardon me to talk about before we get out of here. So uh, Tavares and Timmins both scoring Tavares for his twenty fourth, Timmins with his second of the season. Timbits, baby, I love this guy. Yeah, what a shot too! Matthews dropping it back and nice one timer. Going just uh, just over the pad of Mazarek. Adar <laughs> Mazarek? Yeah. Yeah. And JT, uh, 500 career points on home ice. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. And also William Nylander hitting 30 goals. First leaf to hit 30 goals on the season. Oh, uh, boy. No one, yeah. No one expected that. Um, Austin Matthews close. Uh, 26 now. JT at 24. Man, they're all doing... This is what's great, though, is like, yes, it's nice when Matthews runs away with it, but the fact that they're all contributing and it doesn't have to be him on the ice, especially these, this bit of time that he's been out, 
It's, uh, it's gonna oh, be but the Leafs out. have no depth. It's all Matthews and Marner. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that because honestly, the bottom six is uh, hit and miss. We'll say. Yeah, and Timmins takes an interference call and says, "I'm so sorry, everyone. I really shouldn't have done that." And big blast from the point scores, baby. This is what we want to see. I love that all day long. Timmins, who else with a big shot like? trusted on power play too why not take that shot at even strength when you have the opportunity especially fed by matthews yes hell yeah and uh this is worth pointing out i think it was uh, katie on leaf's twitter who found this and somehow nobody noticed this up until now but uh, with one more tonight mark giordano is seven blocks away from the all-time nhl record that somehow snuck under everyone's noses until today Right, with an asterisk, because they never they haven't always tracked blocks. When did they start tracking? <clears throat> That's actually a very good question. I'm gonna hazard a guess. It would be late nineties. I'm just trying to actually pull it up here now. Bean, do you know who is leading the NHL in blocks? Like active or all time? All time, I guess, since they started counting. Um, well, the, the, f- the first ones that would come into my head would be, um, uh, what was his name for the stars? Was it Ludwig? Nope. Well, that's, that's the first one that comes into my head, but he had a lot of games before they started tracking it. Chris Russell. 2,044 blocks and 912 games played. Our Geo's at 2,036 and 1,078. So not too many ahead. um, They they haven't, they didn't start tracking them until 2005, 2006. I was just going to say, they don't even list it as an official stat on NHL.com. Yeah, so it was after the lockout they started tracking it. It was because it wasn't really a thing before because the obstruction of shots was so much easier. Uh, so people started blocking. Like it wasn't really. I don't think anybody would have come close to these numbers in the old days, anyway. Go watch some old Stars games with Ludwig. His shin pads looked like one of his shin pads would probably pass as a goalie pad for today oh because they were so yeah. wide. Wow. Yeah, I noticed that like three of the top eight people are active players, so that kind of tells you they haven't been tracking it that long. I think the other ones were Mark Edward Vlasic and Brent Seabrook. Mm. I, I, I could see that. I think I they were like they were like four and seven or something like that. I remember. Anyway, uh, so some things to talk about. Lots of things have been going on. Where should we even start here? Questions. Questions. Let's start with questions. That's a great idea. So yes, Leafs oh. win five two, baby. We okay, only have so this a couple questions. Um, this one from Chris Hurley, Hurley Sports. Uh, bottom six of teams ahead of Toronto based on point percentage. Do we compete? So this was what I was alluding to before. We've got the bottom six of what is this? Tampa, um, New Jersey, Carolina, and Boston. So we're going to compare these to the Leafs 
and see uh, how we stack up. You guys ready? Yep. Okay, so first up, we got Tampa, third line of Nick Paul with uh, Pat Maroon and Ross Colton, and then a fourth line of Pierre-Edward Belmar, Corey Perry, and Vladislav Nemesnikov. What do we think there? What do we what do we rate them out of 10 as a bottom six? Are we going like history and reputation or are we going on how they're actually performing this year? How they will perform this year in the playoffs. What are you what are you expecting? 10 out of 10 obviously being like your expectations of a third and fourth line, not like they're going to be superstars, but you know, performing as a fantastic shutdown and secondary or tertiary scoring. Um, Tampa, I'd probably put that at about, I'd probably say a seven or eight, almost ex- exclusively because of Brandon Hagel. I really like that kid. I was really disappointed when the Leafs couldn't get him. Well, Hagel's on what, the second line in this? Oh, he was down on the third? Sorry. Yeah. But I still would agree that I would give them an eight just because Nick Paul has been a leaf killer. Ross Colton has proven himself to be a a great um, depth scoring option. You've got Corey Perry down there with the uh, still effective and pain in the ass uh, veteran presence. You know, Belmar kind of the same and Domestikov's dangerous down there. I think it's it's a pretty good bottom six. Their top six is Hagel, Point, Kucherov. Sorelli, Stamkos, Killorn. Yeah. The only one, like, Sorelli and Killorn are good. I'm just, I think that's where it's, they've kind of got their Who's mids injured? there. Cernak. Oh, no forwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sorelli just came year. back. I, Steph, what do you think of 10? I honestly give them an 8.5. Um, I like this bottom six they have a touch of everything uh Nemestikov you know coming from even Detroit and being trusted as a top six winger it didn't like it did work but I'm surprised that he went back to Tampa and then Belmar and like Corey Perry he he's once upon a time ago was a very great player in this league right and Nick Paul leaf killer Ross Colton, potential leaf killer. Pat Maroon already has a handful of rings. <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. I don't know. It clicks for me. Um, it's a good balance. It it tell it lets the boomers shut up, and there's a little skill as well. <laughs> I think it works for this team. Um, next one up, New Jersey Devils. Third line, Jesper Bogquist, Dawson Mercer, Thomas Tatar. Fourth line of Michael McLeod, Nathan Bastion, and Miles Wood. So before we get into this, uh, Thomas Tatar has 30 points. Dawson Mercer has 29 points. Michael McLeod has 19 and Miles Wood 17. So their bottom six has been quite effective this year. Obviously, Thomas Tatar would, you know, he's been a name in the league for a while. So that's a kind of a, a cheat down there in their third line. Uh, but I mean, Bockwist and Mercer, that line's been been pretty good. I'd say their fourth line's where it falls off. That's why I would probably knock them down to like a, a six and a half, seven. But I think their third line is is really good compared to most other teams. 
Yeah, um, Thomas Tatar, right? Like this guy used to be on PP1 if he's not still uh, and playing in the top six. Oh, he is on PP1, right? And I'm sure he's, yeah, he definitely w was traded to be in a top six role and didn't work out that well. And uh, Sharon Nagovich kind of broke out with the team last year. Um, Boquist, Mercer, I like this bottom six. Even Bastion, there's just a lot of rookies who have a lot of potential. Um, and it's been working with this young team. Um, I agree with your statement, though, on the fourth line. McLeod, even Miles Wood. This is the type of roster where they get juggled around a lot. So I think they're used to playing with each other. That makes sense. They, yeah, it's not bad. It's just, you know, it's not like have, Tampa's. Yeah, they have played a lot of games all over the place, and you're also missing the big point here is they don't have their best player on that lineup. Fair. Yeah. Jack Hughes Cause, injured. Yeah, because oh. Hughes is out right now. Yeah. So I, up the next one here. Yeah, I, I would give them... I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me. Five and a half or a six. I really like Mercer. Um, I really like Wood and McLeod. Boakvist and Bastion, they they can do their job. Yet again, there, there's going to be some juggling around when Hughes gets back. And then Tatar, can he can find himself in an icebox real quick for long stretches. Like, yes, he's a veteran. He's played a lot of games, but he can go he can go in the cooler pretty good. That's a good point. Yeah. I would rate it lower than Tampa, of course. Maybe a 6.5. Uh, just because there's so much young talent and they're not proven, um, you just don't know if they're going to fumble, even though they've had a solid, solid year. Okay, fair enough. Next up, we've got the, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes with Jordan Stahl, Jesper Fast, Jordan Martinuk, and Paul Statsny, Derek Stepan, and Stefan Nosen. So just because I listed this points on the last one, between Nosen, Martinuk, and Stahl, 27, 26, and 26 points. And then uh, Jesper Fast with 19, Stefan Nosen, sorry, um, Paul Statsny with 17, and then Stepan's got like eight. But, uh, I mean, some crazy point production from, I mean, Stefan Nosen being their fourth line left winger is the... One, two, three, four, fifth highest scoring person on the team. PP1. Yep, they trust him on the first power play unit, and he's stuck since October. Uh, Jordan Stahl always being that second or third line center. Honestly, this is probably close to Tampa for me. I think this bottom six works. Like Paul Stasny, come on, this guy played top six minutes with Winnipeg and now he's playing fourth line with Carolina on the stack team. Damn. Like Stefan Nelson has the most power play goals on the team. Yes. And he's a sneaky fantasy ad. Uh, anyone out there? Former Maple Leaf Stefan Nelson. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I give them a nine. Really? What do you think, Bean? I'm probably going eight and a half, but that's with a little bit of an asterisk that they've got two, probably two, three center centers on their 
third and fourth line, and then they've got an AHLer as their second line center. Cooking. Sorry. Mary. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's been flipped a lot uh, between the third and second line, but they really want to keep him in the top six. Um, but Shevnikov hasn't had a super great year. I don't know. I feel like he's hasn't been living up to his potential like he's been hyped up to be but i haven't been following the canes closely he's a great young power forward but and i I don't want to rip on kk the whole time but when you have when you're happy when you have to do that much more because your center's not carrying their weight right Mm -hmm. um the thing about the canes is and it's been this way forever is you have a team that's coached by rod brindamore so everyone's going to be playing probably much better than they should be or they're supposed to be. Stefan Nozen is on a league min contract this year and next year. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Now that I've heard your arguments and I mean, between your two, your third and fourth line centers are Jordan Stahl and Paul Stastny. Are you joking? Cheat codes, man. Turbo also has been slacking this year. I think he's only at oh, six yeah. goals so far or something like that. Uh, he's been a little bit of a fantasy bust. Um, but previous years, he's been solid. Uh, he was definitely one to look out for. Yeah, it just, I don't know, putting up a lot of donuts across the stat board in fantasy. So he hasn't been attractive for a categories league, but... I mean, Brent Burns has 11 goals, and he's only got six. That hurts. Yeah, he's been scoring more lately, but hey, Brent Burns on that first power play unit, bless the Sharks for Eric Carlson to have the year that he's having right now. Uh, Yeah, so honestly, I'm going to agree with you guys. Somewhere between it, like eight and a half, nine. I'm going to say nine. You know what? I agree with you, Steph. The the amount of leadership they've got there, the veteran presence, plus the young stars, plus... Just uh, fuck Derek Stepan even down there is like we'll call him a veteran. Um, then we get into the Boston Bruins. Third line: Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith, Nick Foligno. Oh my god! F- funny enough, Nick Foligno, uh, who also came over in the Stefan Nosen trade, we'll call it that the Leafs made. <laughs> <laughs> and then a uh, fourth line of Trent Frederick, Jakob Loco, and AJ Greer. Guys. Uh, this is the least impressive of the four. And this is the group that destroyed us last game in Toronto, uh, the Boston game there. It wasn't any of the core players who scored. It was the bottom six. Oh, that was a tough game to be at. (laughs) The ones that you got to worry about, I mean, Dangle says it all the time. Trent Frederick is a Boston Bruin, like from the womb. This guy was bred to be on this team. Uh, he's a pain in the ass and is just a physical presence and a huge, huge center. That's annoying. Nick Foligno being on the third line, that's annoying. Other than that, I mean, like, Coyle's good, but, like, Smith, Loco, and Greer, like, I know AJ Greer had a good game against the Leafs, but uh, he also got rocked in his dome by Wayne Simmons, and I don't know if he's going to be seeing straight for the rest of his life after that. That was scary, man. Uh, So, uh, honestly, like, I don't, I'm less worried about Boston's bottom six than any of the other three. Um, I give them like a like a five. 
You know, that's Craig's fair. Sorry, Bean. Go ahead. No, no, it's all good. Uh, Craig Smith, you know, before they got Pavel Zaka, even Taylor Hall, he was trusted in the top, top six position, uh, rotated out of power, the first power play unit, and actually at one point was a sneaky fantasy pick uh, before they acquired more depth on this team. Uh, it's nice to see him in the bottom six, kind of like how we hope maybe Kerfoot or even Yarncroak would work out in this scoring position. Um, the fourth line i don't even know enough to kind of judge them uh just a, a not reputable um i don't really have an opinion on those guys but even nick felino leaving leaving columbus was that the worst thing that's ever happened to him or the best thing i don't know <laughs> right um definitely lower end i would give them a five a six okay i'm being nice with a six yeah, I think I'm being a little harsh giving them a five just because of the play that they showed against the Leafs. Like, I know they're capable NHL players. I just think as far as the ceiling goes, I don't think it's as high if they're all on their game as all the other uh, bottom sixes we've looked at. I yeah. I would I would put the Bruins' bottom six at par, if not worse, than the Leafs' bottom six. Yeah. I'd say it's about a par. I would argue that the Leafs' bottom six is better because mm. having David Kampf as that fourth line mm. center, or sorry, third line center, and Pontus Holmberg, like, I don't know. I really love Holmberg, guys. Um, even Joey Anderson, a couple two on ones tonight, Holmberg, Anderson, they look like twins. Like, I can't tell them apart half of the time for some reason, but I love the energy that they bring. Obviously, they're not proven in this type of sense of the Tampa Bay Lightning's bottom six, right? We don't have a Corey Perry on our bottom six, but it's working. Okay, so let's go to the let's go to the Leafs. So our third line is some combination of Camp, Engvall, and either Yarncroak or Kerfoot, and then your fourth line is some th- combination of Holmberg, Aston Reese, Simmons, Anderson, whoever. Um, I don't love it. Engvall's been picking up finally, like he did last year in the back half of the season. Camp is solid. But, I mean, like, it's just hard to put David Kampf up against, like, Jordan Stahl and Paul Stastny. You know, it's like, it's, he's not them. He's not a superstar center that has all this experience. Like, he's good, and he's he's a great penalty killer, and he's, you know, he's the campfire. But I just, I don't think the ceiling and the potential and the experience is as high as some of these other guys have had. Zach Aston Reese is kind of a plug in my mind still and Holmberg and Anderson. I don't like, I just, I'm not sold on this bottom six. This is where I think I really want Dubas to spend money. Like this is what I keep coming back to in my mind is I'll go through like, yeah, like Timo Meyer would be great, but I don't think the top six needs as much help as the bottom six does when it comes to these other teams. Like you're, you're not playing your, your top six against all four lines, right? Like at some point these guys are going to be out there and if they're going to be useless, like, I don't know. Matthews and Marner don't need help as much as, you know, Anderson and Holmberg need help against Foligno or Statsny or 
Perry. Like, you know, this is what it's going to come down to. That's what's going to be win or lose in the playoffs. But what they need to do is they need to play their game because the three names that you just listed can't skate anymore. Like, no offense to them, but they're well past their prime and none of them were great skaters to begin with. So I know you you were just picking names, but <clears throat> like Holmberg, Anderson, they're young and they can move their feet. They need to, if this is going to be our bottom six the way it is, they need to just move their feet and play their game. And if you if if Dubas did go out and get Meyer, well then he takes Kerfoot spot on the second line, so then your third line can be Camp Yarn, Croak, and Kerfoot. But all these bottom sixes I was talking about, there were guys that had, like, there were multiple teams where there were players in the twenty six twenty seven point range. Kelly Yarn, Croak has twenty six, Kerfoot has twenty four, Engvall has nineteen, Camp seventeen, Holmberg thirteen, Aston Reese through 51 games, has seven points and is a minus five. Um, I'm not sold on this bottom six. Like, they haven't been producing. Like, I get it. They're all solid players, but they're not producing the same points. Like, there's like we don't have a Stefan Nosen. We don't have a, a Dawson Mercer. Like, there's no star that we're hiding down there. I mean, Pierre Engvall is not that. Like, they're, they're depth guys, but there's no person that is going to be the future of the team that we're able to throw down on the bottom because they're on an ELC. Like we don't have that in Nick Robertson. He's hurt. Maybe we'll pull up Matthew Nyes later. Maybe he gets shipped out at the deadline. I don't know, but it's still a question mark. What we do know is that Wayne Simmons cleared waivers today. Hell yeah. So yeah, we still have them. Dubas has that flexibility through deadline to move them th- up and down through the lineup to the Marlies without, you know, having that cap hit. And yeah, just more flexibility. Uh, who knows? I'm literally, my popcorn is expiring. Like, <laughs> we've been ready to hear it. And the speculation just gets to your mind after a while. And yeah, Justin Hall scratch tonight. Does, is that symbolizing something? Is it just a penalty for playing like shit on Saturday or who knows? Either one I'm happy with because I think he performs well after he's healthy scratched. And if they're trading him, they're trading him because there is value in him still, I think. So not I think I, I know there is value in his contract being two million and right handed defenseman and all that. So either outcome I'm kind of OK with um, that was a 20 20- something minute question. So there are a couple of things I do want to touch on before we get out of here. Uh, announced today, Diamond Sports Group, the subsidiary of Sinclair Broadcast Group, which if you are unfamiliar, to sum it up real quick, um, if you have ever seen one of those montages of a bunch of local newscasters saying the exact same thing, because it sounds like they're all reading a script because they are, that is Sinclair Broadcast Group. They bought up a bunch of WKPX or WXRC Buffalo and Seattle and all these local stations uh, to push a bunch of their crazy narratives. They are like, like if you, not to get political, but they are like a mile and a half further right than Fox is. And they have been disguising themselves as local news and just spewing their shit everywhere. They, when Disney bought Fox, because Disney owns ESPN, they can't also own Fox Sports. So that was dissolved into a whole separate entity that Sinclair Broadcast Group bought. And in partnership with Bali Sports, 
or Bali casinos turned into the Bali Sports channel. So what was formerly Fox Sports in the States is now Bali Sports. So they have been broadcasting all the majors, whether it's MLB, NBA, NHL. And today they were due a 140 or 130, I think 140 million dollar um, interest payment on their loan and they missed it, which is the first sign that a company is about to file for bankruptcy. So what that means for the major sports world is that all of these games mid-season are just going to be essentially up for grabs. Like they might have to have an auction between like NBC and, and Amazon and everybody to see who's going to pick these up because this is mid-season. They're all of a sudden going to have no broadcaster. So um, if anyone caught on Twitter, there was an emergency board of governors meeting with the NHL today to try to figure out what to do about this. Like these guys have stakes in in stadiums. They have stakes in in broadcasting. Like it's it's huge. This is like if... I know it's tough to think about here because we only have Sportsnet and TSN, but it's like if there was another one and all of a sudden, like it just disappeared one day and TSN and Sportsnet had to pick up all the slack for them. So that's kind of what's what's going on there in a nutshell. It's crazy. It definitely is. And you, you say TSN Sportsnet picking up slack for someone else. They can't even pick up their own slack. I know it's <laughs> it's impossible to make a comparison because like there are regional broadcasters there, like depending on where you are, you, you know, East or West coast, you might have a different broadcaster and, you know, Amazon and Apple and all these guys have broadcasting now. And I think in Canada, we're just still so stuck in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands where it's like, you know, there's the sports networks and they hold all the rights. So that's it. And because Rogers spent, did you guys, do you guys know that Rogers spent more money for 10 years of the NHL than Disney spent to buy all of LucasArts. Hmm. I think it was like nine or $10 billion Rogers spent to get 10 years of NHL broadcasting and to buy wow. all of star Wars, all of Indiana Jones, everything Disney spent 7 billion. Wow. I think that's a really bad deal, if you ask me, for Rogers. Like, I know you get the broadcasting rights, and that's, like, a thing that you can then sell off to CBC and, and TSN. But, like, I'm pretty sure one Disney movie of Star Wars made more than that money back. Like, like just owning the rights to all the, like, to sell all the toys and shit, like, they made their money back tenfold. It's crazy. Um, crazy. Steph... You want to uh, switch gears over to soccer? Yeah, sorry. I don't know much about the broad broadcasting world and TV rights and stuff. All I know is that I'm bitching and complaining when we can't get what we want to watch. So I was actually um, when we went to Boston Pizza, we sat down for a second. I was like, wait, is the game even going to be on here? Like, is it blacked out in Ottawa? Can we not watch it? Like, that actually hit me for a sec. And then what was crazy was it was the pregame was on the TSN TVs, but then the game came on on the Sportsnet ones. And I was like, what? what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so big things in the news that maybe isn't covered as, you know, microscopically as you'd want uh, in this sense because Canada soccer just announced that they made significant cuts to the national team programs. That includes men, women, youth, um, all of the programs for 2023. 
Um, this has led to significant cuts towards the training camps, all the preparation that the women's team is preparing for. Uh, they qualified last year to go to the World Cup, pretty much the biggest tournament of their lives thus far, with less than six months notice that they will not get a training camp. They will not get a home game. They will have to count how many staff members participate in all of these events. Just crazy craziness. So pretty much Christine St. Clair and team, if anyone forgets who Christine St. Clair is, she is the world's all-time leader for international goal scored for men and or women with 190 goals so far. So every time you see those little uh, memes and such or Ronaldo and all these male players, people forget Christine Sinclair holds these records. But since she's a woman, it doesn't get publicized as much. But anyways, the team has stood together to take a stance and declared that they were striking. Um, they were like, this is very unfair. Um pretty much um, citing that if they want to be treated as world-class athletes with all of these high expectations, but the platform isn't given to them, the equity that they promote isn't being up to par, it hasn't been met. And then they put on the stance, right, and thought it's going to be this big thing. Kind of felt like this was their last resort. Important to note, they have not been paid for their 2022 work at all so far. Uh, Canada Soccer actually just released a statement saying that they've paid 1.7 mil. Who knows if it's the transaction has happened yet. But even that, $1.7 million for all of the team and the staff and has to be split up. Anyways, Canada what Soccer... Go ahead. What I find crazy is that it seems like, just my uneducated guess, that they blew a shit ton of money to get the guys to the world cup and then went, Oop, we did not budget properly. And when that is crazy because the men have been to the world cup ooh, twice and the women have been, uh, they have only not qualified their first time in 1991. They have been 95, 99, 03, 07, uh, 2011, mm -hmm. 15, 19, and now 23. So it seems like, and this is just me, uh, they should be getting more of the money because they have a shot. They they won the Olympic gold. Yeah, like they. Yeah, and I'm. They have I'm actually, just looking at World Cup yeah. appearances here, but, but like, like yeah, Olympics aside, they have actually accomplished something. No offense to the men, but the women have actually accomplished something, and they're getting treated like dirt. Like the the Canadian Soccer Federation blew a ton of money trying to get friendlies with iran and panama last year which didn't even end up getting played and they're making all these cuts now and they there's not a current deal in place to talk about compensation the women haven't been paid for last year yet like it's it's absolutely ridiculous yeah so i want go ahead Steph. Um, just to speak of the men, last year, the men, like you said, being also went on strike ahead of the friendly uh, match with Panama over a dispute uh, player compensation. 
the men's national team released a statement saying that Canada soccer has consistently refused or blatantly ignored our players association's requests for access to his financial records. And they've demanded an explanation to what has happened to the millions of dollars that they should be receiving each year from sponsors and other sources alone. So that was already a thing in June. So with the women now, they qualified for the World Cup. The men obviously didn't qualify last year, right? The women has this high, high expectation. They strike. Canada soccer comes right back at them and says, your strike is completely unlawful. If you continue to do this and not play the game against the U.S. on Thursday, we will start a lawsuit and pretty much threatened if they do not return to work. Um, they would take legal action that will equal millions of dollars in damages from their players association and from each player in the camp. So as a risk, like these girls, they haven't been paid yet. They obviously are forced back into work. They have to say, okay, you're literally trapping us into this. Like there's no option. Do you give up your career because you're pissed and there's obviously inequality right now there's no equity which this federation preaches or do you do what they say and just hope for the best and well the federation has been so incredibly mismanaged like in 2018 they signed a a deal with canada or canadian soccer business and that's the group of of owners who own all the teams in the canadian premier league which is like basically a step down from the MLS still very good soccer, but the 20 year deal that they signed signed away all broadcasting and sponsorship money in exchange for a flat payment of three to 4 million a year, all broadcasting and sponsorship money. So now that there is a women's team that is a gold medal winner at the Olympics and potential world cup winner, and you have the men's team going to the world cup, you have all the sponsorship money coming in and they get none of it. Just bizarre. So I know I brought up um, Bill C-11 with regards to Canada making broadcasting for sports accessible. You guys both take a drink as soon as I say seal. I love that it's like, all right, I'm getting into a political rant here. You guys are like, oh God, I need a drink. Oh God, where's my vape? (laughs) So I brought this up at, in regards to Canada protecting accessibility to viewing our national sport of hockey by not letting Sportsnet and uh, Bell block out games uh, for different regions. This is bigger than that. Um, Some of the most unpopular branches of the Canadian government are Hockey Canada, Skate Canada, Canadian soccer, whatever they're the Canadian soccer federation and our basketball program. They are some of, as far as government branches that interact with civilians, the closest, they are some of the least popular and least trusted and worst managed government arms. We have our basketball team is borderline, like non-competitive, like the amount of people that we've contributed to even the NBA over the last you know, 30 years is kind of embarrassing for how much the U.S. has done right uh, below us here. Uh, and the fact that we've let the states catch up to us so quickly in hockey and just 
the scandals and everything that have come out around hockey Canada. And I know some figure skaters that are like skate Canada is literally a joke. Like it's, it's in the same vein of like the amount of controversy and mismanagement and, and like, it's, it's just crazy that now it's, it's into soccer too, that like, instead of trying to, okay. I don't know if you guys know, and this goes to our listeners, like how long it takes something to go through the Senate and House of Commons in Canada, but the amount of discussion they've had around Bill C-11 is unprecedented. And shout out to, there's a YouTuber who's covered a ton of this and has been called into to Parliament. I actually ran into him here in Ottawa when he was talking about it, JJ McCullough out of Vancouver. This has been tabled, I'm off the top of my head, I want to say like 30 something times they've talked about this bill and they've brought in people both sides have brought in people to argue it and they're spending so much time and so much effort to try to figure out how to regulate how videos show up online from Canadian creators. Meanwhile, all around, this is all managed, and I, I know this sounds like a stretch to compare these things, but this is all managed by the same Heritage Canada branch. Like the way that our government is structured is very strange. So the, the Canadian Heritage Committee handles everything from sports to music to culture, anything that is identified as Canadian culture, they are in charge of. So this all falls under them. And they are spending so much time worrying about the internet and letting every single sport just go to shit around them. And this is insane that it's, we're supposed to be going to these, the world stage with all these sports. And it's like, uh, we can have a couple good teams here and there, but it's almost like luck at this point that these people are, are good because the programs aren't doing them any favors. Yeah, literally the women are simply asking for this federation to live up to their public commitment to gender equity and for this national governing body to advance the sport, not drag it down. So essentially, we want to grow this in this sport in this country. Obviously, having the men's team participate in the World Cup, Look how much exposure that brought, right? Like if the women were, were highlighted on the same and treated like world class as they deserve to be treated. I mean, we we are so lucky to have a Canadian who is decorated world class for as many goals, Christine St. Clair, you know, countless medals. Like I'd be here all day if I read her account accomplishments, right? It's just bizarre to me and bizarre to them and what else do they do right like striking is kind of like your final straw like just blow it up just have to i don't know like where are these records where where are all these the sponsorship money going like all of these organizations need a leadership change and um on that the last the thing that i want to end with here is um this is kind of older news uh, but the NHLPA is set to announce their new director, finally, after what seems like, because it has been, uh, a year search. So did you guys hear who they have selected? No. This is kind of crazy. Beaner, did you see this one? So the U.S. Secretary of Labor... Marty Walsh. So literally somebody from Biden's cabinet who is currently the sitting U.S. Secretary of Labor is leaving his post to come and be the director, executive director of the NHL Players Association. So this is kind of it seems like uh, somebody overqualified, but 
what's worth noting is this person is not a lawyer. And this is the first time that the director of the NHLPA is not somebody with a legal background. This is somebody that is a politician who fights for labor rights. So, and this is from a a non-legal and more policy standpoint. This is going to be interesting because this is the person that has to negotiate with Gary Bettman on a regular basis. This is someone whose life is law against someone whose life is politics. And it's going to be kind of a, a, I don't know how this is going to go because they, he's not going to be a, a lawyer that's going to try to outlawyer him. And Batman just gets to say, I'm the better one. Like they're going to play a completely different hand against each other. And I'm interested to see where this goes for the next major negotiations. They probably already made a deal. That's why I got in like scratching each other's back somehow. And, and now he's in. Well, Batman ha- can't have anything to do with it. And he, like all he said was, you know, I'm, um, all I can say is, you know, I'll work with whoever the players decide to pick because it's, it's the person that's representing all the players, right? So he he has to yeah. stay out of it. And it's supposed to be the person that's speaking on their behalf when it comes to all these, you know, labor. Like when it came to the, the negotiations about escrow for the COVID um, payments and everything and how the players are still sitting here with a frozen cap and still paying money back while the owners are making exactly as much money, if not more, actually more than they were before. So, you know, it's those kind of negotiations that might go differently now that, somebody else is in charge and somebody that has been doing this from the white house essentially is standing up to these different kinds of lawyers and union leaders and and whatever it may be to to make sure that workers are getting the best so um i think it's good but again he's not a lawyer so i think that's even strange to be the secretary of labor <laughs> without being a lawyer but we'll see yeah um weird thing that I just crossing my mind I'm going to think out loud I'm on the Leafs NHL site looking mm-hmm. at the leaderboard and Jack Campbell appears <laughs> with a 921 save percentage and 17 wins but the other stats are accurate right now so or no oh no maybe they're not I don't know what are you are. doing yeah it's like current stats I don't know it's weird uh, current stats but Jack Campbell's included strange maybe it's a sign no (laughs) okay well since we're out of here i'm gonna take two seconds to just tell everybody uh to yell at your mps about uh stopping bill c11 it passed through the senate two weeks ago this is the dumbest thing that government has tried to push through basically uh the too long didn't read of what this means is um Hmm, how do I sum this up quick? Basically, it would implement an algorithm on the internet in Canada to push what the government deems as Canadian content up higher above other things. And while on the surface, that sounds like a great idea, um, what it does with, I know I might have talked about this already, but what it does is um, the effect that it has on music in Canada already, where radio stations have to play a certain amount of Canadian music, is if you go to the States, they go, yeah, but they have to play you. So it devalues it. So you are maybe boosting somebody for the, you know, small audience that is in Canada, but you are hurting them being discovered on a world stage. Um, Canadian YouTubers posting content that doesn't get deemed Canadian content because they're not talking about something that's Canadian enough for them uh, will Mm. get buried. So, you know, the fact that we're talking about the Leafs, yeah, that'll get pushed. But say there's, say we were a podcast here that were Penguins fans that would get buried 
So it's, it's not fair. It's not conducive to how the internet works and nobody needs this. The government does not need to step in and affect how people find things on the internet in Canada. Um, they should have no effect on how things show up in, in search feeds. Nobody should. I know there are things that affect that, but you know, the government definitely shouldn't be one of those things. So um, if you didn't know about this, it's something they're sneaking through, passed through the Senate. Um, it's now to the House of Commons. There's a shit ton of amendments on it. And today the Quebec government uh, unanimously voted against it, saying that this is stupid. They just basically not voted against it, but saying like, put something forward saying that we are not okay with this. So it's been extremely controversial. Um, both sides are are not really okay. Um, I watched a bit of an argument on it where they brought different people in. Like I said, there was a Canadian YouTuber, JJ, who was arguing for the conservative side. Um, the liberals had in basically just the CBC and some other broadcasters who obviously um, are biased and have no interest in what happens online. They just want to have their stuff, their show's presence on the internet be pushed up. So uh, yeah, it's kind of not in any individual person's interest. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just throwing that in there because people in Canada need to know that this is going on. So if you have any interest in how things like entertainment culture and politics work in Canada, speak out about this because it's stupid, right? Or can call your MP and say, no, no, no. Do that. Cool. And Thanks. support women's sports. Yeah, that too. Always. Uh, when are we starting our uh, women's uh, with a PHF fantasy league? Um, I don't even know what their season timeline is, so I don't... Did I they don't launch know. that app like in the middle of the season? Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> okay, so maybe know. we'll get into yeah. it for next year. Yeah, next next season. It'll okay. be really well, fun. Um, any hockey history or anything we wanted to touch on? Uh, nothing crazy, unless you, were, unless you weren't watching the broadcast. Um, they talked about it on on this date back in 1927. Conn Smythe bought the Maple Leafs. Oh wow! The one thing that I just kind of wanted to briefly talk about, if you guys don't mind, five minutes or less. Um, why, in a year where the Montreal Canadiens have no business winning, did they put all of their young stars in for them all to get hurt? Because now uh, they are down. Caulfield, Slavkovsky, Jack Eye, and Gooley. I know two of those guys are like 22 and you can't just keep them out, but um, why is this happening to them right now? Like the fact that Slavkovsky, the fact that Slavkovsky and Gooley is there are silly, are there is silly, but Jack Eye breaking his hand in a fight is doing nobody any good. Um, And Caulfield getting hurt, like, fuck, man. This is not what they need when they're trying to get ready for the next couple of years. I think Jack guy caught a lot of attention, started being a banger in this league. I'm sure he came in hard, heavy hitter, just like his brother, uh, who's in junior still. Um, but he learned the hard way, right? Think you can't punch your way out of every single problem. Because this happens, and unfortunately, this game today is way too fast for that to be happening all the time, or else you just don't get to play. Uh, like the guy, don't get me wrong, love Wi-Fi for what I've seen so far, but it's going to be like like a Gilmore situation or something. Like You don't want him hit, hurt all of the time. 
I totally thought that they drafted Jack. <laughs> pardon me. They just drafted Jack Eye. But they did not. Hmm. He's a 22 year old who did not go in the uh, he was 20 or 21. Yeah, 19 or 20 and 2021 draft. He didn't go in. Because they showed that thing, wasn't it? Like when they picked Slavkovsky, he was like excited because they played together, wasn't it? Them? Or was it him and Gooley? No, it was another draft pick. Um, no. <clears throat> yeah, it was the uh, class. younger kid, another Slovakian that Montreal picked. Gotcha. Yeah. See, that's I had in my head that it was Jack Eye, so I've always like all season I've been like, oh yeah, he's new this year because I uh, nobody knew about him till this year. Jack Eye does have an interesting story, though. Um, his parents came as refugees from Kosovo and got him into and his brother into hockey immediately but just his story of turning pro and um he also had a second job was he the kid who had costco hours right and his his manager had no i didn't believe that hockey was more important than working at costco right and didn't believe how pro like at the level he was but yeah just a funny story if anyone has time to look that up uh he came from nothing and he turned himself to something, which I really appreciate. Uh, just a type of story where he wasn't handed everything as a child, it seems. Those stories in sports always blow my mind because sports are so expensive to get into. And so many of them become family dynasties, like you know, generations that have access to scouts and to trainers and things. And then I know this is over to basketball, but you hear things like um, Giannis Antetokounmpo who like him and his brothers were like on the streets of Athens selling like, you know, watches and cologne and stuff and then get thrown onto some like high school team. And then all of a sudden they're like Antetokounmpo is the best player. It, you know, like probably top five, top three in the NBA. Like it's crazy. Wow. And these guys like up until like we did the math. I went on a school trip in 2011 to Greece and we figured that Antetokounmpo was still then on the streets like selling shit while I was in high school and now he is in the NBA and one of the best players. Hidden uh, superstars, you know, that don't have access to the means. I, I saw this Instagram reel of a father shooting beer bottle caps at his son, you know, hitting them with a baseball bat you know, he was shooting them with a slingshot from a, it seemed like so far, like a mile away. That kid was hitting every single cap, no problem. It it was very impressive. It wasn't close at all either. Um, but yeah, I'll have to alert the slingshot leagues. <laughs> the caps leagues, remember that? Yeah, man. Ding. No, but it, honestly, it just it it blows my mind that the circumstances can even come together for somebody to get into, you know, finding a league to play and finding the next league up to play and finding an agent, finding, you know, like all these things that have to line up that basically get handed to you. If you a have money or B have the family in it and C I like listing things when I'm drunk alphabetically. (laughs) Well, beaners like go home, Johnny, you're drunk. Yeah, man. For bed. Okay. Night, guys. Thank you all. (laughs) Um, Follow us everywhere. Join us on Discord. All that. Thanks for sending in the message, Chris. That took us. uh, I I loved it. That's 
I, that's why I wanted to get through everything because I knew we had to set some time aside for that. So uh, thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, Marty. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Leafs Late Night, your night of post-game podcast. Available after every game on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and more. 